You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. It is Thursday the 17th. We got championship weekend on the horizon. It's been a great day here on the Locked On NFL podcast. One thing I need you to do before I introduce our great guest is we have really become very smart speaker friendly. So if you have one of these smart speaker devices, make sure you tell it, play podcast, Locked On NFL. That'll be something that... um, you know, right when you wake up in the morning or get in the shower or however it is you use it. But Mr. Sando, how are you? Mike Sando joins me as he does every Thursday. What is up? Not too much. I, I am awake. I'm Good. not in the shower, but right. I'm uh, ready to go. All right. All right. You published an article earlier this week reviewing off-season grades. Can you just kind of give us a rundown of your logic behind these? Yeah, well, this is the accountability index, right? Because we all do yeah. these things, you know, grading the draft or whatever. And so uh, every offseason, when it gets deep enough in the offseason, the draft's over, you're kind of before training camp, we will all talk to a bunch of people in the league and say, hey, you know what? I would give the, uh, you know, the Chicago Bears a B minus, right? And, and then the season happens and we have a different view uh, sometimes of those off-season moves. You know, I might have thought before the year that Eric Ebron was a good signing, but it ended up being a great signing at 14 mm-hmm. touchdown catches or whatever. So, and then other things will happen like Khalil Mack will be acquired but right before the season, you know. So, I will regrade then after the season go back and we'll say, "Hey, okay, like like the Colts for example, got a B minus at that point. We gave them an A plus. I I gave them an A plus this time. I mean, their their plan really came together and and they we also kind of have a feel too, did they get a lot of bang for their buck out of the draft? Uh, that's something that we really totally guessing on before the season and now we know that some of these guys are doing well. Yeah, and I love draft grades, you know, like the the day after the draft or even the day <laughs> after the first round. Todd and Mel and everyone else was putting out their draft grades and hey, I've done it and I understand that the public wants them. But I love that the teams with a lot of picks end up with good grades and teams that pick yeah. at the beginning of the round, you know. So yep. it, it, to your point, you really need to give it a year or a season to better evaluate these. And I urge everyone to check out your article. It's great. Um, but I wanted to touch on the tops and the bottoms. And you brought up the Colts. They went from a B minus to an A plus, and I couldn't agree more. You know, and yesterday, this is how lame my life is, but I, I love covering the NFL, and I, I love it. You know, I just love the game. So last night, when I got in my finally my whatever my my lame old man thirty minutes on elliptical machine, <laughs> I was watching the Chris Ballard end of season press conference, and I mean, every time he speaks in a public setting like that, whether he's explaining what happened after Josh McDaniels. Uh, you know, did his about face. You just get the feeling that they're doing things the right way in Indy. He just projects that, hey, we got a plan. There's no overreaction. We're doing things for the right reasons. So that, that's really the takeaway when you listen to Chris Ballard talk. And it's been frustrating a little bit, I think, for fans along the way. You know, oh, we had all this cap room. Why didn't we do that? Well, I mean, look at the budget whether it's Nico Autry or whether it's Eric Ebron, those were not, for the most part, hugely heralded off-season signings. Right. Um, but but those guys were exactly what you wanted for agency. You don't overpay, and you get great value. Uh, they fit well in your locker room. And then, oh, by the way, 
let's just take a Darius Leonard in the second round and let people debate if he's who's better between him and the top 10 pick, Ro- Roquan Smith, right? Right. <laughs> let's take Quentin Nelson, who as a guard is overdrafted at number six, but changes the almost the mindset, almost the toughness of your team. And in the process, you trade down to do it and pick up some picks. Pick up some picks. So, um, you know, he's a rare, different type of player. I'm a Hall of Fame selector. I'm presenting the case for Steve Hutchinson this year. He was the type of guy that comes to your organization and changes the makeup of your team. And, I, and you know, Quentin Nelson, as a guard, looks like he could do that and maybe already has started to do that for the Colts. So, really, everything they've done um, – you know, has worked out well, and and I, I couldn't go higher with the grade. I mean, what do you want him to do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I don't know if you accounted for. Oh, by the way, they add Frank Reich. You know, that looks like a win. Um, I don't think you yeah. ac- account for luck, but luck stayed healthy. He got better. You know, like that's not the front yeah. office is doing, but they made things easier on his transition. They now the offensive line is now one of the best in the league, where it's been one of the worst in the league in one off season, basically. <laughs> And yeah. kind of like I alluded to, they're in the be- one of the best positions in the league to do another A-plus offseason coming up. Yep, absolutely. And it was funny listening to Ballard. He was like, everyone's like, are you going to go big in free agency? You got all this cap room? And he's like, yeah, we're going to do what we've done. You know, We'll put a price on guys, and if the price goes too high, we will be confident enough in ourselves to back away. That's hard to do. Um, but I think you have to also credit the ownership there because Chris Ballard has sold them on a long-term plan. He's told the truth to them about where the team was. And so ownership has been patient with them to do things the right way. And while they are going to have tons of cap space, they're not going to go out and sign Le'Veon Bell. They're not going to go do a bunch of semi-irresponsible stuff, but they are completely flexible in what they want to do. Another aggressive team is the Bears. And you gave them a B-minus before, and now they're up to an A-minus. And I, again, I agree. Um, I, I, they kind of reminded me, when you gave them the B-minus, they kind of reminded me of the Rams the year before. You draft the quarterback high, and then you surround them with Allen Robinson and you know Burton and all these playmakers around them to make his life easier. But the draft is really where they hit. You know, Anthony Miller, Roquan Smith, James Daniels, uh, they got a lot of production, and that's not even accounting for the Mac trade. Yeah, correct. I think... Uh... They will be interesting to see how well they do in the future off seasons. Can they sustain the success? Because they obviously gave up a lot for Khalil Mack. They, you know, after this season, they've they've lost Vic Fangio. They've suffered some hits. But looking back on the off season, when you nail the draft and when you get a player like Khalil Mack, even though they gave up a lot, I mean, I think that really made them better than than I thought they were going to be. I still sort of thought, ha, ah, Trubisky, and I wasn't sure, um, but. You have to give them credit for being bold, being right on Nagy. I think he has been a good addition for them. They've been able to use Trubisky in an effective way. Um, so a great offseason for them that really saved the tenure of Ryan Pace, the GM. I mean, his back was really against the wall. You know, they had gone 14 and 34 over three years. John Fox didn't make it out of that. Pace did. You could have debated, should he have? And I think this last offseason sort of gives you a little bit more hope that keeping pace may have been the right move. Yeah, and, and something I mentioned earlier in the week, they might be the team going into this offseason with the fewest obvious needs, too. It's not like, boy, they need a corner so bad. I mean, they're in pretty good shape if they had nothing. 
Yeah. Yep. Yep. Now the rest of that division, you know, could be better. Uh, sure. You could see the you could see a bounce back from Green Bay. It could be harder. I mean, I don't think that I think if they don't win the division, it's not necessarily a you know a, a huge step back for them. But they should be right back in the. You know, I, I think a winning record is a good goal for them. Yeah, I agree. Um, the Rams are still in it. They went from an A minus to an A minus, and much earlier in the year. You explained why the Rams aren't maxing out their credit cards so much to add Brandon Cooks and Peters and Tlaib and Sue and all these huge name guys. Can you just kind of spell that out for everyone again? Because I think everyone knows, you know, the yeah. on the field it's working. Yeah. Well, what's happened? What they've done, is, and you know, New England does this to some degree too, is um, the the veteran players they're acquiring are not big ticket, unrestricted free agents. Now, you know, UFA is somebody whose contract expired and then they hit the market. And so what the Rams are doing is they're basically trying to almost circumvent or use to their advantage the compensatory pick equation. So when they use draft choices to to acquire a Brandon Cooks or a Marcus Peters, or when they sign an Indomitian Sioux who was cut and was not a UFA, Mm -hmm then those additions are not factoring into the compensatory pick equation. So then when they let some guys leave who were going to, you know, whether it's a Trumaine Johnson or whoever their unrestricted free agents are. Fowler that they traded uh, for. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fowler this off season, mm-hmm. if they let, if they let Fowler go and he signs a big deal, they're going to get draft choices in return. So I believe they have multiple third rounders coming to them in 2019 um, and that's something that I think we need to look at. If if you like, I would recommend people just Google like compensatory picks over the cap, over the cap one word. That could take you to the over the cap website. They have a great chart projecting who mm-hmm. is playing that comp pick equation well. Like in the AFC East, the Patriots are the only team getting comp picks. Can you believe that? Multiple thirds. It's funny. I, I mean, looked at it yesterday for the pick. first time in a while. That exact same article, and it was like, wow, there's not that many teams getting them. And I didn't realize the AFC is really light. Yeah, and the Rams, but the Rams are getting them. So yeah. I don't, when I say they're not mortgaging the future, when you look at the acquisitions they've made, those are not like putting them in a horrible cap situation. You know, they're, they're sort of kind in of position them. to do it again. Yeah, and if these guys leave, if they let a Marcus Peters leave, you know, they'll be getting picks for him too in the future. Almost like a little bit of a refund on what they gave up to get him. Right, right. Like selling them, use them for a year and then get 90 cents on the dollar for them. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, but if you win the Super Bowl, great. Um, the last yep. A team you have went from a B to an A minus. That's the Chargers. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like that's basically all about Derwin James. My, <laughs> my listeners, I mean, I'm going to pat myself in the back hard right now. I told my listeners going into the draft, he's the best defensive player in this draft. I couldn't believe he fell this far. I feel very justified in saying that. Yep. You hear me patting you there? Patting oh, thank you. you. The thank right you. There. There we go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did it end up being a pretty, a pretty good pick for them. Um, yeah, that, that helped them move up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go over the other end of this list, and then we're going to talk about the games coming up to finish up the show. So we'll be right back. All right. You have some D grades here, and I don't know if we have to spend as much time on these because some of them we just saw them self-destruct. I mean, the Cardinals went from a B-plus to a D, and I still don't have any problem with the Rosen pick. I think he is a building block. But it's not, they're not in a good situation right now, that's for sure. I mean, it is a problem. 
Yeah, for and I wouldn't give them a D if they kept if they stayed the course with Steve Wilkes and just said, hey, you know, it was a you know a learning curve here, first year head coach. We have a long term plan. I think the grade goes down for me because they um, basically threw in the towel on Wilkes after one year. So that was their they're basically their you know one number one or one A decision of last off season. They are they are declaring is an F grade that they're submitting. They are submitting paperwork to say it was an F. I, that's not me, right? <laughs> right, right. They said that it's a waste they of did. year. I mean, who knows what? Yeah. So when you, when you by your own definition, failed on got an F for hiring the head coach, whether or not you or I think he could have been good long term, uh, that wrecks the grade. And then you know after our grades came out as a B plus, they had the whole Steve Kime thing with the DUI arrest. Um, I'd count that in there too. I think that's rough. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. The Raiders are an obvious one to me. They were a C plus. Now they're a D minus. And my take on why I would give them such a bad grade is not necessarily because they traded Mack and Cooper, although that looked to be nice. I, I think they're worth more than the picks they're going to get for those two as it stands now. And that's a little bit of hindsight. But to me, the crime was misevaluating the roster and signing all the Jordy Nelsons and Doug Martins and old dudes thinking you were a couple old guys away from competing and then putting yeah. a lot of resources into the offensive line, which got worse. <laughs> yep. So uh, I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, I, I sort of, if you read the piece, you can see, I said, would you trade Khalil Mack a second, a third and a conditional fifth for Martavis Bryant, two firsts, a third and a sixth. I mean, that's basically what they did. <laughs> the Bryant when trade was terrible. Go, the, when you put the Khalil Mack and Martavis Bryant trades together, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're pretty you're, lost. You're old and, yeah, there's, there wasn't a lot of great to see there. And I didn't put in there, I didn't trash him for hiring John Gruden yet. I mean, it's one year, you know. I no. Think, uh, I think he's been a good coach before. I think he did revitalize the franchise a little bit coming back. But um, I you thought know, that him and Carr were impressive down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, he, they have to reset on what they're doing with the roster and have a clearer view of it. And that didn't work well this year. I'm a big believer that off-seasons gone wrong are usually because a team looks in the mirror and doesn't evaluate themselves properly. You know, like the Raiders made moves like they were closer than they are. And this next team, Jacksonville, to me, is a perfect example. Like, we're Andrew Norwell away from winning this whole thing, and you're not. They're not, but I still thought they would be better. You know, I, I didn't... I, I think we had to remember that they only went 10 and six, you know, when they went, they got so close to the Super Bowl, they had this feel of a 12 and 14. They were so great on defense. The offense had come around a little bit, um, but they were still, you know, a 10 and six team. My big concern was how do you handle success? You know, they, they really didn't have, uh, you know, the maturity they needed on, in some of those, some of their key players they were relying on. And so uh, the season blew up in their face and really I couldn't find a move that they made where you thought, wow, that was really a great move. You know, whether, you know, Norwell still could be a good move long-term, but he ended up being hurt. They lost Cam Robinson early. The whole left side of the line thing didn't go well. You know, would you say that, you know, the signings of Dante Moncrief, Austin Safarian Jenkins, did those moves, you know, were those great moves, was extending Bortles. You know, you just almost can't find one anywhere. And looking at the draft, you know, they got a punter in the seventh round, might have been their, you know, best contribution right away so it just felt like a total fail absolutely um i have one you know since we're talking off season i want to ask you one question that i didn't you know, mention before 
But I know I look at this through black and gold colored glasses, but I very much believe there's going to be five teams, three or four or five teams, all heavily interested in Antonio Brown. I mean, I know that there's some baggage. He's not young. But finding receivers is hard. Do you think there will be a big market for him? I don't need predictions of what he's coming back. We'll talk about plenty of time. So um, I think there's a market, yes. Um, what's interesting to me is that he's he's 30, he's going to be 31, I think, mm-hmm. this next year. And he's extremely, extremely productive. But you can't find – I mean, name me a receiver older than that who's putting up 1,000-yard seasons right now. There aren't any. I've looked. No, you're so, right. You're right. You know, so it to me, it's a and he, his contract wouldn't be that bad to acquire because I think his salaries are twelve, thirteen million. You can you can handle that. It's not like there's right. a big bonus coming due. And you can move on um, from him if he falls off a cliff. You're not married. You to can him. move on from yeah. him. Yes. So, um, uh, yeah, I think there would be a market for him. As I look through the teams, though, um, who, like who did you see? Do you do you see anyone like just jumping out that this would be the team? Um, I do that Steelers show, and I'm going to do another one today. And the last one we did of the season, we went through every team and basically said yay or nay. And I came up with 8, 9, 10. Um, I eliminated the teams in the AFC North. We eliminated the, quote, contenders in the AFC. Like, Steelers aren't going to send them to the Patriots. You know, I mean, I don't think they're going to send them to the right. Chiefs. You know, and teams that were really cash-strapped, we eliminated. And I still came up with quite a few. Um, the Jets... The Bills, the Raiders, Packers, Denver, San Francisco, the Eagles. And I could go on and on. I mean, the Lions. I mean, I think there's many that could use them. The tape's amazing. He's maybe better than ever on tape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, San Francisco and Philly sort of stood out to me as mm-hmm. uh, interesting places. You know, is San Francisco going to be ready to make a big jump offensively next year, get the quarterback back? They sort of need one. You know, Maybe. and then Philly's just been, you know, willing to take those types of chances and acquire players. And they did make the move for Golden Tate, but this would be a whole different category. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Another quick break here. And then I want to talk about these two big games. All right, Michael. So the AFC game, do you have a feel for it? How I was going to structure this was the Chiefs win if dot, dot, dot. Yeah, um, so here's how I kind of think the game could go. Okay. It, it, so I could see New England daring Kansas City to run the ball. And so obviously, you know, we're in a passing era and you have to pass effectively to win the game. I'm not saying that's not true. But if if Bill Belichick and, and his staff dare Andy Reid just dare him to, to be at least balanced. Will Andy Reid, who's sort of known for wanting to throw it all over the place, be disciplined enough to take him up on it and take what's there? Or will there be this sort of, you know, will, they, will, there, will the chief strength, their aggressiveness and playmaking, be their weakness in that they get a little too aggressive, a little too careless, try to play the way they've played all season, and it leads to turnovers? See, so, I, I would yeah. take it a step further and say, I think Belichick is going to beg them to run. You know that. Yes. He. That's what I mean. Yeah, he's spending the whole week saying, Tyreek can't beat us over the top. If he nickels and dimes us, all right. I mean, he's going to get his. Kelsey's got to be job number one. I mean, 
He's yep. he knows. I mean, in a Gronk-like fashion, that we cannot let him dominate the game. We don't know if we have an answer for him, but we have to throw everything, including the kitchen sink, to make sure he doesn't kill us. That probably leaves Sammy one-on-one a lot, and he looks good. I think. I mean, if I was playing DFS, I might pick Sammy Watkins, but I think Damian Williams has a big game. But I don't think Belichick cares. I think he hopes he has a big game. If you know what I mean, like when yep. the Patriots played the Steelers. They put so they begged them to hand the ball to Jalen Samuels, and everyone around here is like, "Boy, Jalen Samuels is killing it." Well, he's running against nobody, and he's picking up five or six yards as opposed to Brown and Juju picking up eighteen. Yeah. Yep. So I, I think we agree on that side of it. For New England, I sort of like their uh, the makeup of their team for going and playing a bad cold weather game. I, you know, mm-hmm. they're in twenty-one personnel a ton. Um, they can do a lot from it. They can they can match you with a run game, grind you up, but just as easily, suddenly it can be an empty backfield, you know. And, oh yeah. And Brady's finding a mismatch wherever that one mismatch is. Um, I like their flexibility offensively. They can beat you anyway. I think they can come and now they don't have the one thing they don't have is they're not as explosive. You know, that's not having Josh Gordon, not having that element. I think um, does make them a little easier to defend, but. I sort of like their chances to come in and play uh, a balanced game that may end up being heavy on the run, but uh, allows Brady to also find his opportunities in mismatches. Yeah, I don't think they'll push the ball down the field. They didn't against the Chargers. Those linebackers for me for the Chiefs are wearing uh, a, a huge bullseye on both their chests against White or Edelman on crossers or whatever. I think Brady just picks those guys apart in the short zones. The Chiefs' pass rush, especially in their building, worries me, though. I mean, if they sell out to stop the run, crowd the line of scrimmage, and get them in some third and longs, I think Ford and Jones and Houston will hit Brady. Absolutely. They'll probably, New England will probably try to run at Ford, you know, (laughs) during the Mm -hmm. game and just turn it into that type of make and play run defense. But you're right, if if they can get them into the third downs, that home crowd and those pass rushers then it really plays into um you know plays into the chiefs hands chiefs have also made some personnel changes on defense going a little bit younger late in the year and i think that's good you know i think it's you can be young and athletic and just play your butt off on defense with effort and um, that can sometimes you know get it done for you too especially at home i don't think it's a fluke that they give up far less points at home um, and I don't, I don't know if you agree with me, but I do think that their defense is at least playing the best it has all year at the right time. Yeah, yep. I think their defense is less bad than the stats say because of their ability to rush the passer. Right, right. You know? If you can um, have one thing, I want to pass rush. Yep, yep. And they've had an ability to outscore people too. You know, even when they gave up a ton, they have been able to put up, to score even more several times this season. So. Um, I don't think it's going to be like that 43-40 like last time. I think it'll be a little bit more of a controlled game, but um, the capability is certainly there. In the NFC, I'm going to kind of just say exactly what you just said, too. Like, I think everyone's expecting this to be first one to 60 wins. I don't think the Rams can play that way. I don't know that they can trust Goff in this environment to keep up with Breeze and company. I think finding C.J. Anderson was a gift from above that they will try to attack a Sheldon Rankin-less interior offensive line, play tempo, slow the game, of course a lot of girly. Um, but I don't think it's just bombs away, Jared, go win this thing for us. 
Oh, no. I think that they showed in their last game and by their comments after the game, I mean, they, they need to really have the run game be part of a big part of it. And that's how the Saints want to play, too. So, mm-hmm. uh, And either one of these teams, like if you go since week 13 this season, Goff's got six touchdowns, six interceptions, 75 passer rating, 42 QBR. Breeze, five touchdowns, four interceptions, 88 rating, 55 QBR. Yeah. These are not... These offenses have not been what they were. I'm a little bit worried for New for New Orleans. I just I don't feel offensively like it's there right now. And they needed, you know, like Alshon Jeffrey having the broken ribs bails him out of the game because he, he peaks at number 47 who's about to hit him before he drops that pass. If Alshon Jeffrey doesn't have the rib injury, I think he just catches that ball. They move in and score. I really do. Yeah. I was, I'm a little worried for New Orleans now. I don't think Breeze they is playing well. That. I mean, the numbers, they, yeah, they, he's not driving the ball. He looks old. Yes, late in the year. So right. what's going on? I mean, what, there's there's stuff been going on. I feel like the Rams somewhat, the Rams came closer to rediscovering who they were last week than the Saints did. And, you know, the home field still swings in, in favor of New Orleans. I think New Orleans has the, you know, is the better team. But... I'm a little bit worried for them. I'm not feeling like I don't feel like the Rams are going into a buzzsaw like they might have been if it was week six. Right, and I think a huge key for the Rams, kind of like I talked about with Kelsey, is Michael Thomas can't have ten for 145. <laughs> and he might. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would think with Talib coming back that you know that they can get uh, they'll have a little bit better uh, better chances um, against them. You know, one of the storylines of the season. Uh, for some people, is just the that Marcus Peters, while being a good player, isn't necessarily an ideal fit fit for the style of coverage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for, for just being pressed <laughs> in coverage. So um, having to leave, I think, gives them some flexibility and 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 helps them uh, in that regard. And then, you know, on paper, the Rams should have a good push up the middle, which is where you bother Breeze, right? I mean, absolutely he's throwing lanes up the middle. So. Um, I like the fact that the Rams were able to come back the last time they played, made it a close game, and I like the fact for the Rams that they had a better game in their playoff week, their playoff win last week. Yeah, well said. And uh, I mean, the the Saints worry me a little bit. I mean, again, they have two weapons, and I think a good defensive coordinator is going to do a lot. Take that away. The Donald and the way Sue's factor is is huge for interior pressure, and kind of like I said with the Chiefs. They have big play guys on defense. The defense hasn't been good, but I do think it's playing the best it has of the year. Yep, and and in any one game situation, those playmakers, you know, they can they can make the difference. Right, so, like um, when they I played the Chiefs the on Monday night. Yeah, right. exactly. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, um, last so. thing I wanted to throw out there, and it was something to me that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about from last week's games, is. At this stage of the year, with such great coaches, we have four awesome coaches coming up this weekend, which is really exciting to me. But when you play predictable coverages, it's awful hard this late in the year. And to me, the Colts, the Eagles, because of the state of their secondary, and the Chargers last week were very predictable in coverage. And even if Drew Brees isn't throwing it as well as he was earlier in the year... I mean, Brady and Breeze and McVay and these guys are going to kill that. And I don't know that we'll see that as much with these four defenses. 
Yeah, you know what's interesting is the the Chiefs and the Patriots play play about as much or more man defense as, oh, as yeah. anyone in the league. So um, I thought the Colts on that surface, you know, with that scheme, they're trying to plant and drive on the ball with you know vision on the quarterback, and uh, they looked like they didn't have the great greatest footing. So um, we maybe we expect a little bit more man coverage in that game, and that brings its own you know ups and downs to it but it'll be a different type of defensive game from those teams than we saw from the Colts who I think are the highest percentage zone of anyone in the league right right I think they're about the highest and the Patriots are about the highest in man coverage so it will be very different um Mike this was a blast man you gonna do it again next week yep sure do absolutely all right guys that is a wrap Uh, I will be back tomorrow to pick these games obviously there's just two on the slate but that'll be a fun show as well so over and out